Well, it's back to um, the book of Galatians. Um, Actually, it's back to the same two verses that we uh, looked at last week. We'll try to round those out tonight. Um, uh, Galatians uh, Galatians 1, 15 and 16. Let me read you those, and then we're going to start at a different spot. But um, uh, let me read you that first. Um, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Um, Guys, we're in a little section here where Paul is giving his testimony, but he's giving his testimony because there's a reason behind it. The reason is he's trying to demonstrate that he, um, the message that he preaches had no human origin, that it was, uh, it was a divinely given to him uh, you know, by revelation, he says in verse 11. But he's in a, in a section where he is, he is sharing with you his, his past and his, um, his testimony. Um, I want you to keep that in mind because we're going to do something over this testimony thing after Easter, and um, I, I hope it'll be beneficial for you. But, but anyway... Um, what I want to do tonight is I want to start in, in Acts chapter 9, and I want to try to make a point that I tried to make last week but didn't make it very well. And so I want to do it again. I want to try and come at it at a different angle and, and make the same point, um, but hopefully make it better than I did last week. Um, I think part of my, my mistake last week was assuming that you knew all about the, uh, the uh, conversion experience of the Apostle Paul. Of course, his name was Saul then. I think you know that. It got changed later on. But um, um, I, I, I kind of sense that maybe you didn't know all the details of his conversion. So I want you to take a look at it. It's, in, it's recorded for you, or the event is recorded for you in Acts chapter 9. Um, and, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. It goes through verse 19. I, I won't read you all of it, but... But let me just, just, just take a look at it and, and so that you can see that I'm not making this up. Um, uh, Paul is, um, he goes to the high priest. He asks for letters uh, so that he can um, uh, take them to Damascus. And if he finds anybody that's a Christian there, he wants to bring them back to Jerusalem and put them on trial. So as he's on this road to Damascus, I'm in verse 3, suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's an interesting kind of thing that Jesus would uh, say that you're persecuting me when you're persecuting my people. That is, you touch my people, you touch me. Interesting. But And he said, "Uh, who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling, astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the city, and you will be told what you must, um, uh, what you must do. Uh, and so they went on uh, to um, Damascus. He's speechless. He's blind. Um, uh, and he was three days and three nights without any sight and didn't eat and drink. And then uh, on the other side of town, uh, God shows up, and, and there is this Christian by the name of Ananias, and uh, the Lord appears to him and says, Ananias, and in verse 10, he says, here I am. And so the Lord said to him, uh, I want you to go over to this, this, this street, the name of the street is Straight Street, and um, inquire of a certain house, and you're going to find uh, that there's a guy in there, but his name is Saul of Tarsus, and he's praying. Uh, and he's seen a vision on the road to Damascus, and, um, and I, I, want you, I need you to put your hand on him so he can receive his sight. And Ananias 
in verse 13 says, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, you know, I mean, Lord, surely you know who that guy is. That's Saul of Tarsus, dude. He, um, uh, how much uh, harm, uh, I mean, verse 13, he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But, uh, but the Lord said to him, Go, for he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, now this, this, these next couple of three verses are really interesting. Ananias went and entered the house and saying, and laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 18. Immediately... There fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he received food, he was strengthened, Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Now, guys, that's the, that's the event uh, that I think is familiar to a lot of you, but apparently not, not to all of you. Um, because that's what I got last week was a bunch of blank stares. But um, <laughs> there, there's the story. There's the story of the conversion of the apostle Paul. His name was Saul. I think you know all that. There it is, right there. That's what happened to him. You've heard about the road to Damascus and the light and, you know, blind and, you know, Ananias and scales. And uh, that's his conversion event. Okay, now, you, don't have, you don't have an event like that. Uh, maybe some of you do, but, but I don't. But um, that's not the point. Here's something I want you to see. Now, guys, remember, back over in the book of Galatians, Paul is trying to establish the the fact that the message that he preaches is of complete divine origin. He didn't check into the school for the prophets and, and take a systematic theology class under Dr. Young. Uh, he didn't do any of that. In fact, what I want you to notice in verse 20 of Acts 9, immediately, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Now, guys, Paul has had no human teachers. He's had Ananias show up. Ananias told him a couple of things about what he's going to do. You know, go to the Gentiles. You know, Jesus told him you're going to go to the Gentiles. So Ananias told him a little bit. But in terms of a whole worked out system of theological precision, he's had none of that. None of that. And yet, there you see him in verse 20 uh, preaching in the synagogues. Now, what is Paul preaching? Well, um, at this point, what does Paul know? And Elias didn't teach him any insight into justification by faith. He hasn't had that three, hour, that three years out in Arabia yet. What is it, in verse 20... When you're in your mind's eye, you see Paul standing in front of this group, this audience. I don't know how big it was, but he's standing in front of an audience, and he's telling them something. The text tells you a little bit. He, he preached that Christ is, uh, is the Son of God. But guys, here's, here's, here's what I'm, I'm getting at. What did the Apostle Paul learn 
about the gospel through his conversion experience. What do you think he learned about a gospel that he immediately starts preaching merely based on his conversion experience that happened three days ago? What, how much did he know and what was he preaching? I mean, for instance, um, do you think that he stood there in verse 20 and uh, that he mentioned his outstanding performance as a Jew? Um, I mean, now nobody's taught me anything. So do you think um, um, there was any lessons for Saul while he was blind out there on the road about his good works? Do you think that there was, that while he's out there stricken blind, lying on a road, that he learned anything about the road? I mean, what did he, what did he think? Well, now, I think the reason that this Jesus just showed up for me is because, you know, um, I have such a stellar track record. No, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I mean, he didn't have a stellar track record. So if he's thinking about his performance, the only performance that he has at this moment is a real bad one. So three days later, he goes to the synagogue and he starts preaching. What, do you, what does he say to the audience? Everybody, let me tell you how to get right with God. You just need to, you just need to, be a, you need to live a good life. Do you think that's what Paul took away from that experience? I doubt it. I think one of the things that he didn't know a whole lot about But the thing that he wanted to communicate was something about this thing that became the centerpiece of all of Pauline theology. And that is that grace reigns. Um, Here I was on my way to arrest some of these people. And God... um, God knocked me down and blinded me so that he could draw me. I mean, it has nothing to do with any part of my performance. Okay, <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm speculating. I'm just guessing. But I don't think you're going to find him in, in verse 20 there of Acts 9 telling his audience that the thing on which you can base your spiritual safety is your performance because he has none. In fact, the only performance he does have is really bad performance. I don't have any merit. The only thing that I have is demerit. So one of the things in the midst of his testimony that he is telling his audience is, you know what, guys? God delights in saving people who have nothing but demerit because that's all I had. That's all I got to offer is demerit. I got no merit. Um, Secondly, um, do you think that as he stood there in Acts chapter 9, verse 20, 
do you think that he stood there puffed up and proud? I mean, just existentially, try to transport yourself into the, I just experienced three days ago, this thing out there on that road to Damascus, and it was, oh my gosh, I was blind, that scales mine. Do you think that he would walk in front of an audience and be puffed up? Well, you know, you know who I am now, don't you? I'm that guy out on that road that just said, you know, got knocked down by the light. Do you think that would be true of Paul? Um, I mean, I, I think you would agree that that's pretty, um, that would be nonsensical. Um, so his conversion um, would leave him in a posture of humility? Yeah. Well, why? Why would that be true? Because he knows that everything that happened to him out there on that road, God did it. The thing that I've learned about being converted to this Jesus that I don't know a whole lot about right now, I'm just three days old as a Christian, but the one thing I do know is that everything that happened out there, he did. I didn't do it. In fact, contrary to what I was trying to do, he did it. Um, or, or how about this? Do you think that he would have said to this audience in Acts 9.20, do you think that he would have been insistent to those new listeners that he's got here that they, they must all perform some kind of a sacramental work of some kind? Maybe like circumcision. I would suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen, that at this point, Paul is somewhat embarrassed about his circumcision. Because, you know, that thing is the thing that I used to, you know, take great pleasure in and great delight in and, you know, great, uh, you know, pride in. But I've just been, I've had the slats knocked out from underneath me. I'm certainly not proud of any mark on my flesh. I mean, do you think that he would have told his audience in Acts 9.20, you know what, everybody? If you don't get baptized now, you'll never be right with God. Do you think he said anything remotely resembling such a thing? I'm speculating, but I don't think so. I don't think he had anything to say about some kind of sacramental rite that everyone must undergo before they can know that they're okay. Contrary to some of the messages that are afoot in the 21st century. One other thing. Um, he also learned something from Ananias. It's in verse 15, chapter 9, because um, uh, the Lord says to, um, now, hey, listen, Ananias, I want you to go over there, and I want you to tell him that he's going to bear my name. He didn't say that. He said, I want you to meet this guy who's going to bear my name before Gentiles. And, and also tell him how much he's going to suffer. <laughs> um. One of the things that he learned in this whole conversion experience and in his relationship to Ananias is that if I belong to this Christ, there's, some, there's an expected service that comes in, in this relationship. For me, it's going to be Gentiles. But there is an expectation that now that this Christ has saved me, that I am to serve him. Somehow, some way. 
Um, here's something that I think Paul might have said to his audience in, in Acts 9.20. He might have said something like this. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? When I was out there on that Damascus road, um, Jesus Christ showed up and stopped me in my pursuit of my own destruction and has forgiven my sin. Um, you know, I used to be a murderer of these folks that, you know, that ultimately became known as Christians. But I am overwhelmed with the fact that I'm forgiven. Um, he, he might have said something about the beauty of this person, Jesus. Guys, Paul was only days old as a Christian. But he learned certain things from his own conversion experience. They, it, it taught him a few things about the gospel. Just being three days old in the Lord, he's out preaching his little heart out. And, and some of the things that he learned were, well, it's, it, it, it's not of works. It's got to be of grace. Not only that, there's at the center of this whole thing a very beautiful Savior who has, has communicated forgiveness. It, this whole experience has really humbled me because I know that everything that I've experienced, experienced, God initiated it. He sought me. I didn't seek him. In fact, oh audience here in the synagogue at Damascus, now, as you well know, I was coming up here to arrest those creeps. I wasn't seeking God. I wasn't asking, oh, I really do want to know you. No, 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 no. I had some uh, letters from the Sanhedrin and the high priest, and I wanted to find some Christians that I could throw in jail. I wasn't seeking God. He sought me. Now, guys, I, I've made pretty much all that up, but I, it's, it's certainly based on a, a conversion experience. Um, there were certain things that Paul preached that at three days old, he knew because of his own conversion experience. He preaches to them about this Christ. He doesn't preach to them about social justice. He doesn't preach to them about um, a morality. He doesn't preach to them about sacraments. He preaches to them about this person that just knocked me down on my way to persecute Christians. I want to tell you everything I know, and I've only had three days, I want to tell you everything I know about him. I can tell you he initiated it all. I can tell you it couldn't have anything to do with my works. I don't have any. I can tell you he forgave me. 
That, ladies and gentlemen, is the very rudiments of the gospel, and he learned that simply by his conversion experience. Now, guys, I say all of that to say, or to ask you this, what has your conversion experience taught you about the gospel? Okay, take 12 seconds and think about your own conversion experience. What has it taught you? What is it that would be contained in your testimony that you learned in this whole experience of becoming a Christian? Some of you perhaps were born into the kingdom. I mean, you know, people sneak into the kingdom. I mean, they do. You know, they didn't, <clears throat> they wake up one morning in the eighth grade and they realize, you know, there's, um, uh, there's never a time that I don't ever remember being a Christian. I, I, you know, but, but even about that, ladies and gentlemen, what have you learned? What do you know to be true simply because of your conversion experience? I'm going to tell you about mine. Um, And and the only reason I'm going to tell you about mine is because I want you to think about yours. Um, Because I did sit in my chair today and I thought, okay, it's back in 1970. And if I had been three days old in the Lord, what would I have known at that moment? You know, um, I think you know, some of you know it a little bit, and I'm not going to bore you with the details and the travelogue, but, you know, Susie and I were dating in college, and I was an Air Force lieutenant. I had taken my oath of office. I was a second lieutenant. I had my bars, and I was headed to flight school to fly the friendly skies of Hanoi in something fast and mean and with a whole lot of ordnance. Um, um, and then... I mean, days before we were married, I get this letter from Uncle Sam, and he says, thanks, but no thanks. We don't want you. We are giving you a 4F, and I've told you the story about the Osgood slaughter on my knee and all that business, this little bump on my knee. And, you know, they, and, and, and by the way, they never said that in the letter. They didn't say, oh, well, you're being washed out because uh, Osgood slaughter. They never said that. They just said, you're gone. I hadn't failed any test. I hadn't taken any test. I mean, if I'd have taken a test, I'd probably fail one. But I mean, I hadn't taken any. They, they, they couldn't get me out because I failed the test because I had, I, they couldn't get me out because of bad grades or bad behavior. I hadn't even gotten there. And um, so there I was. I go to my, my employer and he says, well, no problem. We like you. We're going to ship you to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. <laughs> How about that? And then my wife and I, being the, you know, very religious types that we were, you know, um, but, but, you know, when I say religious types, ladies and gentlemen, my wife was a whole lot nicer, she still is, than, than, than I am. I was, I was everything that you can imagine that a college SAE was. Just let your mind wander. That's what I was. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and at mine was worse because I was louder. <laughs> I mean, everybody heard about mine. So, you know, I married this cute little chick from, uh, you know, Snooty Fox. And, um, and, and then Parker Gamble says, oh, we'll ship you to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Great. 
sun, beach, love it. Then we find, okay, let's find a church. And you're talking about stumbling into a church. We got lost looking for it. Pulled over on the side of the road in, in a phone booth when they had phone booths. And called the guy and said, oh, no, I'll go this way. And, and there it was. And then on the way out, this preacher stops. You know, there's, I don't know how many people there were, 1,100 people there that day. And he stops us. He says, listen, well, he actually didn't say that that Sunday. But four days later, we get a phone call from this preacher. This preacher shows up with two people. And they tell me something that I've never heard before in my life. And I went to bed that night. My wife will tell you this. We went to bed that night. And I turned to her and I said, well, I don't know how to turn. But I said, um, I cannot believe that something as wonderful as heaven is free. So, in, in my conversion experience, though I, I, didn't, I, I didn't know that word grace yet. I might have sung the song, but I didn't know that it was that. But the one thing that I would have said, three days old, if I'd have been in this audience, if I'd have been you know, in a synagogue in Damascus, I'd have told them, hey, y'all, did y'all know this? It's a gift. I'd have learned that from my, from my conversion experience. It's a gift. Another thing. You know, I'd love to read you all this. I'm not going to. Um, but if you've got time, you ought to Google this thing. I mean, I'm not a real poet-loving dude or poem, you know. I'm not, I'm not good at that, you know. Um, but the thing that I would, have, I would have said three days old as a Christian, I would have said, you know, I wasn't seeking him. I was seeking a lot of money, and I was seeking success with Procter & Gamble, and I was success, uh, uh, seeking a, a whole lot of fan approval, but I wasn't seeking him. This poem is a poem, you've heard of it, The Hound of Heaven by Francis Thompson. And I'm, I'm only going to read you just this little bit because I didn't know this, I didn't know this poem that three days old as a Christian, but I, I would have said something like this, not this well. <laughs> but he says, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him and under running laughter. Don't you look, under running, as if I'm really having a good time, running laughter, I'm running away from him. Up, vistaed hopes I sped and shot precipitated <coughs> down titanic glooms of chasmed fears. Titanic glooms of chasmed fears. From those strong feet that followed. <coughs> Whose feet? <coughs> Pardon me. That would be God's feet. From those strong feet that followed. Followed after. But with unhurrying chase. An unperturbed pace. Deliberate speed, 
deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat. And a voice beat more instant than defeat. All things betray thee who betrayest me. I didn't know this poem. But I would have told you three days into it, ladies and gentlemen, I would have told you, I've been running from him all my life. And the only, the only thing that I, ha- I can tell you as to why tonight I'm a Christian is because as I was fleeing him, there were strong feet that followed with unhurrying chase, an unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat. And a voice beat more instant than the feet. You get this picture of God chasing me as a hound is nipping at my heels while I'm running as fast as I can run to get away from him. Ladies and gentlemen, that ought to tell you something about the gospel. It ought to tell you something about the redemption that you and I enjoy. Not a one of you. Not a one of you sought him. Until he first sought you. We ought, to look, we ought to know that much just from our own experiences. We ought to know that much. Oh, but I remember, Dr. Young, I remember I was really serious about spiritual things. Okay, I'm with you. That came right after that prevenient grace that we talked about last week. You know, guys, think about this. Just think about this. Do you know where the Bible says we love because we were first loved. Do you know why you love? No, I mean, not your wife. Not your, do you know why you love this God? Because he loved you first. And he tracked you down. He tracked you down in the midst of you running from him. Of my own mind in the midst of tears, I hid from him in underrunning laughter. Oh, I thought I had the world, I thought I had the world by the tail. I'll tell you something else I learned from my own conversion experience, similar to the Apostle Paul's. I learned that at least I'm supposed to be humble. Because God initiated this thing, not me. I should at least know that much. That I am spiritually safe because God tracked me down. The hound of heaven tracked me across the universe. So I ought to be. I'm not saying I am. I'm just saying I ought to be. I ought to be telling this audience and every other audience of the beauty of the humbled position of knowing that the only reason I am who I am is because of grace.
Then one other thing. It's very similar to the Apostle Paul when you stop and think about it. One of the things that I would have said early on is that if this God has done this for me, there's something that I owe him. Not money. Maybe some. But I belong to him. And so now he calls the shots. Where do you want me? What do you want me doing? And when do you want me doing it? Oh, you're going to send Paul to the Gentiles? Where's he going to send you? What has he asked of you, ladies and gentlemen? Because through our conversion experiences, at least we ought to know something like that. That it was fully intentioned by God. He was previous in the whole thing. He tracked us down. It's a gift. Call it grace. Call it what you like. It ought to humble us. And you know what? There's service required. We ought to know that much without Jimmy Young ever opening his mouth just by reviewing what he did when he brought us to himself. Think about your own. Because, ladies and gentlemen, before we're through in this semester, we're going we're gonna to work on your testimony. This is Paul's. You've just heard a little about mine. What's yours? Heavenly Father, uh, I pray that you will uh, remind us of all, the, of, of all those things that were going on when you tracked us down. That um, in the midst of running from you and thinking that we had a lot of answers and, and caught up in a whole bunch of hollow laughter, you found us, you overcame us, and now there's something so rich and so wonderful about knowing that we're forgiven. All of that stuff that was associated with the college kid who was an SAE that is shameful. It's forgiven. And all of the... Um, irrational pride of, that continues to plague that man. That too is forgiven. And I pray, Father, that as, uh, as your people review, what you, just in the confines of their own minds, review what you did to bring them to yourself, that we might all come to the place where we are humbled and we are reminded that there is a job that you have for us to do. We commit ourselves to that, Father, whatever that is. Show us. We ask it all in Jesus' name.